Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Welcome back to the call up. It has been a little bit, probably the longest we've gone without an episode for the holidays. It's December 27th. Merry belated Christmas to those who celebrate, of course, Hanukkah as well. Jack, what what, what day of Hanukkah is it now? Uh, it's done. The, oh. the eighth and final night of Hanukkah was on Christmas night. Damn. Okay. My fault. Well, happy holidays to everybody. Whatever holiday you may celebrate. I uh, hope you've enjoyed some of the time off from work or Whatever you were able to do to really bring in the holiday for us, took a little bit of time off recording. I would say it was nice to, to decompress a little bit, but I'm I'm pretty amped to be back and talking prospects, Jack. Uh, you know, we talked to Cubs prospects a couple of weeks ago. We've been eagerly awaiting to break down this Texas Ranger system, which is really darn good, man. And I'm excited to uh, chop it up with you and break down this much improved and very exciting farm system that the Rangers have built. Yeah. So the holiday break is the longest break that we take at any point, I think in the calendar year. Um, and I remembered like why the breaks are so important because you, you kind of drag for a little bit and then you hit this holiday break where I think we've gone, that might've been like a little over a week that we didn't record the first three days. We're like, Oh, this is great. Like I don't have to work. And then by day six or seven or day eight, you're like, I'm ready to go. Like, I feel great right now. So, yeah, you can take that, you know, two day weekend and you can you can take that hard break off. But it's kind of nice once in a while to have a seven day break because you come back and you're actually rejuvenated and you're set to go. And and that's how I feel right now. And you said we're coming back with the Rangers top 10 prospects. And this is a Rangers organization that uh, is putting their money where their mouth is. They commit what half a billion dollars to Semyon and Seeger last year. Jacob deGrom is going to be wearing a different uniform for the first time in his career this year, and it's going to be a Texas Rangers uniform. They signed Andrew Heaney to fill out that front three. Um, I I mean, this org, with the prospects that are coming through to supplement those guys, they've got a really bright future. And, you know, what was really fascinating to me, and and this is where usually I have some more fun, is you you talk about 
what the future holds and you know what they've been able to, to add in terms of veteran talent, um, some you know proven guys that still have a lot of years of, of high-end production uh, that, that you're hoping for, like the Seegers and the Semians, more specifically Seeger. Uh, but w- what I really like is, you know, we just talked about most disappointing off-seasons. And some of the teams that had disappointing off-seasons were teams that are you know, in that little bit of tweener phase of building out that farm system and maybe not wanting to you know, block some prospects, not wanting to compromise the future a little bit. But I think you can do both at the same time. I think you can build for the present while building for the future. And some of the best teams in baseball have shown that to us, right? That you can spend, you can add guys, and then figure it out with the prospects. Because guess what? Not all of them are going to pan out. I hope every single guy we talk about in this episode pans out. But the reality is it's not going to happen. So, you know, planning for prospects to come up and make a difference for you, is always going to set you up for disappointment. But if those guys are the house money, right? Those are the guys that can accentuate what you're building at the top. You're going to be in good shape. And we've talked about how Chris Young is doing a great job. Uh, Talk to Jack Leiter on the call up. And uh, if if you're watching us on YouTube, definitely go to that audio version. You can go check out the podcast where we talked to him almost a year ago now, which is crazy. But Jack talks about how meeting with Chris Young was just a, a big, and that's the general manager for the Rangers was just, kind of understanding what the direction was of the franchise. And when yeah. he met with them ahead of the draft, it was you know, still pretty early. It was before they made all of those moves. It was before the Rangers were what we see now. And he kind of sold Jack on the vision and, and really convinced them that the direction that they're heading in is sustainable success, not just spending money, but also, you know, building something from the ground up as well. And I think the Rangers are extremely well positioned, man. And when we looked at this farm system, when I, when we dove into it, a lot more depth, then I think people give it credit for top end talent that we're going to get to, but we'll start with the depth. And of course, for those on YouTube, they're going to be following along with us here as we kind of share the screen and go through each of these prospects. Um, but if you're listening and you have the ability to, you know, look at your phone, the full top 10 or top 15 prospects, as well as honorable mentions, that article is linked in the podcast description, but Jack, do you think it would be crazy? I know we got to kind of line them all up before we jump into these, you know, honorable mention names and and then you know, the just missed in the top ten. This could easily be a top five system in baseball at this point. If not, it's very close to it. Yeah, we just had this conversation on the Just Baseball Show. Like, I think to be conservative, top ten, um, but I I don't think it's crazy far fetched to say it could be a top five system. Um, there are systems that jump out as like much, much better than the Texas Rangers, right? Like Baltimore is a better system. Cleveland is a better system. The Dodgers have a better system. But after that, you get into this conversation where, hey, maybe Cincinnati is right there. Maybe Pittsburgh is right there. And then how about the Texas Rangers? Mm -hmm. And that is a credit to the seasons that guys that were already there had. It's Mm -hmm. not like they traded away a bunch of really valuable pieces and got prospect capital back. Like that's how Cincinnati got to be where they are, right? Because everybody of value, they they dished out and in turn, they got like a Noel V. Marte and, you mm-hmm. know, going back, they got a Brandon Williamson, like that type of thing. Um, with the Rangers, it's just been drafting well. Drafting it's been positioning well. themselves well. And, and we'll talk about it with a couple of guys in terms of, you know, how they position themselves as past draft in terms of bonus pool allocation. Yep. Um, and they have had success at Mm -hmm. each level of affiliated baseball with individuals. Yeah. And and IFA guys, you know, I think they've done pretty well there with, 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 they've, they've gone 
you know, high end guys like Maximo Costa, who we're about to talk to, but or talk about not talk to, uh, but also some of the between the margins, you know, international free agent signings have been pretty impressive, too. But we'll start with a couple of the honorable mentions. Glider Figuero, uh, a guy that third baseman played in low A, really nice left handed swing uh, that I, I think could develop into more power. It's just a name to watch because anytime you got a guy that's that young with an advanced swing and a little bit of projection, there's something to like there. He, his glove is competent there at third base as well. So somebody that really dominated rookie ball last year and got a taste of low A is interesting. And the way we usually do this, I fly through these names. Jack will add on some of the players that he wants to talk about because these are guys that, you know, are, are a little bit less, uh, less, lesser known and probably not going to spend as much time talking about these guys as maybe Evan Carter, but Mitch Bratt, left-handed pitching prospect, another guy that in low A put up some pretty good numbers, really good feel for four offerings, which is rare to see from a, a lefty that maybe isn't as exciting. Uh, but Feel for those four pitches. Stuff's not elite, but he mixes them all up well, and the fastball has some sneaky life. Alejandro Osuna, who is the brother of Roberto Osuna, uh, Alejandro hits the ball hard. Um, We're mentioning his brother solely from the fact of bloodlines on the baseball field. Uh, Alejandro slash 308, 394, 451 in low A, while walking nearly as much as he punched out. Uh, he reached high A in his age 19 season, which I think is extremely uh, encouraging. This guy has some intriguing power, really patient hitter. Maximo Acosta, one of their prized international free agent signings. He's been banged up. COVID season hurt him as well. Uh, but he held his own, I think, after pretty much not playing for two years. Put up a pretty decent no- uh, season last year. Not much power there. Can play second, can play third. I think the ceiling isn't what fans once hoped when they signed him for 1.65 million out of Venezuela in 2019, but he put up a 101 WRC plus while striking out 19% of the time after hardly playing and making the jump to low A. So I think that's, you know, definitely something worth monitoring and, and not a disappointment. I wouldn't be sounding alarms on Maximo Acosta. Then you have Antoine Kelly, left-handed yep. pitching prospect who was traded for Matt Bush from the Brewers. He was a second round pick in 2019, crazy stuff. Could be a really, really good arm, either as a starter, but I think it's more likely as a bullpen arm. But injuries and command issues have really hurt him. 6'5 lefty, though, with an electric fastball and a nasty slider. Has mixed in a changeup a little bit. Didn't get picked in the Rule 5, though, and was unprotected. Jason Morabell, another international free agent, $1.8 million. I like him a lot more than Acosta. I think he has more upside. He has a pretty advanced field of hit for a teenage IFA guy. I think he's now 20 years old. Can play all three outfield spots, has projection. That's a name I'm definitely following closely. And then one other arm in the other names to watch is Emiliano Teodo, who has a fastball that reached 101 and a wipeout slider. I think he's got a great chance to be a good bullpen arm. But he's 21 years old and got was able to pick up ground balls at a 61% clip last year. So there's a chance that this guy can stick as a starter. Uh, regardless, extremely talented arm. Jack, before we get to the next five that just missed the top 10, anything from these other names to watch that any names that you are watching, maybe a little bit more than others? Yeah, three of them. Uh, Teodo, let's start with Teodo, because if you touch 101 and roll ground balls at that level, he is a strikeout artist, 12 and a half Ks per nine uh, this past year in low A. Um, That is a recipe for success. He was, you know, part-time starter, right? 22 appearances, 17 of which starts. So that means he came out of the bullpen five times. If he's a multi-inning reliever that can flirt with 100 and keep the ball at the bottom of the zone, 
you feel really good about that guy to climb very quickly, especially being 21 years old, going to be 22 on opening day of the minor league season, probably opening his year in high A. Antoine Kelly is a guy that has fascinated me because Kelly was a futures game guy that probably didn't deserve to be a futures game guy, but um, his stuff is crazy, man. I mean, the the walk rate was way too high. I think it was just under six walks per nine, but he was over 12 Ks per nine or flirting with 12 Ks per nine. And he held opponents to a batting average against of under 190. Like he doesn't allow base hits. Mm-hmm. So Kelly it's battling can, himself. Yeah. Yes. If he can win against himself and throw pitches in the strike zone, it is DL Hall light, right? The stuff mm-hmm. is good enough to get swings and misses in the strike zone. Question is, how many pitches can you throw in the strike zone? And then the other one is Alejandro Osuna. You mentioned low A as a guy that has yet to turn 20 years old. Couple of things about Osuna jump out. Yes, he's Roberto's brother. So that's the only reason why I had heard of him prior to this list. Chances are you don't really hear about, you know, a 19 year old that just broke into low A this year um, and finished in high A. But, you know, 97 games between both levels of A ball, nine homers and a low K rate as a 19 year old. Nine homers as a 19 year old says a lot. And that tells you when this guy is done filling out, he could be a 20 to 25 homer guy. So I think that's in the tank. I got a chance to see him in. Charleston, I believe, is, is where I saw him. Um, and yeah, you could see you could see the bat speed. Like you could see that he was he was just on a little bit of a different level than some of the other guys on the field. And I, and I think was probably the the best hitter in that game. Carson Williams had the day off, uh, who they were playing against. And I, I would say Ozuna was the most imposing bat in that ball game. So th- that's a guy that's definitely worth monitoring. So the way we've been doing these top top tens is I'll do the next five. So people know kind of of all of the honorable mention names, kind of how guys stack up. And again, we'll do the same approach here and see who, you know, who, who Jack kind of wants to add to. I'll start with Jonathan Ornelas because Ornelas infielder reached double a last year. I don't know why this guy isn't getting more hype, dude. Yeah. I, I know he's a little bit uh, of a high risk, high reward guy, but I was floored by the exit velocities. A 105.7 90th percentile exit velocity is one of the best in the organization. He also can move. He's an above average runner. He posted a max exit VLO of 114, and he was 21 and 22 years old last year, 21 at the season start. Those are really exciting tools. We're talking above average speed. We're talking plus raw power. Um, the guy put up good numbers last year. I'm very interested in him. I hope I say his name right. I don't know if you know this, but Thomas Sagazi. 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 It's S A G G E S S E. He was a high school guy. Tools don't jump off the page, but played both second base and third base. And he put up some really good numbers in the season last year to reach double A as, as a 19 year old, a 127 WRC plus in high A. He's aggressive. He's your classic hit tool guy that thinks he can hit everything, but started to tone down the approach a little bit, uh, you know, as the season went on. And I think surprised with, with at least fringy power, you know, maybe could tap into 15, 20 home run power as he fills out a little bit more, but I really like his field of hit. 85% zone contact is solid and you know, can hold down both second or third. Maybe one of the guys that impressed me the most in doing the, the deeper dive is Takoa Roby. 
and, and I, again, hope I said that one right, but Tacoa Roby, and I know he goes by TK is, 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 a, is a common nickname for him. And I saw a couple listings of his names was TK Roby, but Roby, the numbers on the surface weren't great, a 4.64 ERA. But when I dove into the stuff and the pitch data, I was really fascinated. It's a guy that was 20 years old in high A last year. Fastball was 93 to 95 with riding life. A downer curve in the upper 70s that got a ton of whiffs and mixed in a pretty decent changeup that flashed above average. We're talking about a three-pitch mix, pretty solid command. He was burned by the long ball, which inflated the ERA, but a lot of the underlying numbers looked good and the pitch data looked really good. Roby's probably one of my favorite breakout candidates for next year. 126 and two-thirds innings last year, so already built up a third rounder in the 2020 draft. I think he could be a back end of the rotation starter. I, he is probably my number one breakout candidate pitching-wise in this system. Two more guys. One of them I know Jack's going to want to talk about. Anthony Gutierrez, outfield prospect, didn't play above the complex. Had to mention him because he's a $2 million guy uh, that was signed in the beginning of the 2022 season. I like his swing. Another guy that I think that the Rangers do a good job of finding these advanced international free agents hitting-wise. He's 6'3", 180. Struggled with, with pitch rec, but 6'3", 180, you can, you can dream on some physical projection, can play all three outfield spots, but, you know, profiles as a corner guy. And then, of course, the guy that just missed the top 10, Kumar Rocker. Rocker was the number three overall selection in the 2022 draft that also allowed them to, you know, go get Brock Porter, signed for $5.2 million. So even though he was a well-underslot guy, still got big-time money. I think that's top 10 money. And we know that Rocker was selected 10th overall in the 2021 draft. Shoulder and elbow issues, medicals, kind of like Correa's situation right now, were enough red flags for him to go to the Frontier League, absolutely dominate, which is independent ball, and showed enough to, to get picked here by the Rangers. I didn't love what I saw in the fall league, though the numbers were, were decent. His fastball VLO was solid. He was 93 to 95, topped out at 98 miles an hour. But the fastball is pretty flat, man. Uh, the slider is gross. I think that's a plus pitch. But there's a lot of reliever risk here with Rocker as he mixed in a firm changeup, struggled with his repeating his delivery, and we know about the injury his, history with him. Uh, but the ceiling is immense. Jack, who do you want to start with? Um, I don't want to start with Rocker. I want to start with Jonathan Ornelas, actually. I'm going to work my way up. Also, Sue JC. I looked it up. Sue Thomas JC. JC. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Ornelas, and then I want to talk about Rocker. Uh, Jonathan Ornelas, not only was he a 300 hitter in double-A, but he played short, he played third, he played second. And you know what you call those guys? Oh, and by the way, he played four games in center. You know what you call those guys? Versatile. Super utility. Versatile. Super utility. Yeah, I mean, like, you choose any word. Every organization needs guys like that, and Ornelas, if they need innings, it's short. He can be the guy next year. He spent the entire year in double A. Chances are he's going to start this year in round rock at the triple A level, and he will be in waiting. If they have guys go down at short, if Seeger goes down and they need innings filled at short, Ornelas could be the guy. If whoever goes down at third and they need innings at third, Ornelas could be the guy. If 114 miles per hour. It's a dude, hard too. Dude, I'm telling you, like, it, it's the it's the IKF situation, right? IKF said, fuck, if you need me to catch, I'll catch. I just want to get up at the bigs. I think Ornelas could be that guy where he breaks in in a way that you may not expect. Ornelas could be the, the opening day shortstop for the Round Rock Express in AAA. 
but he's going to break in any which way. If they need innings and right, and he hits the ball 114 miles an hour, <laughs> he might just be the guy to do it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm all about that. Uh, I didn't know anything about TK Roby, so I'm, I'm very interested to watch him a little bit this year. But I do want to talk about Kumar Rocker a little bit because I've been trying to think of how I can, I guess, like digest who Kumar Rocker is now, because I I think like there's so much there for him, right? He is the guy that was so good, like best player in America in college. He was going to be a top five pick out of high school. He went to Vandy. He and Leiter created this super weekend rotation at Vandy. And Kumar was arguably better than Jack Leiter at Vanderbilt. And then all this stuff went down. He he appears in the independent league. He throws well in the independent league. And then all of a sudden, he, he sucks it up in the Arizona Fall League in his brief cameo after being selected. Yeah. Um, Rocker's ceiling is big league two or three, like a dominating pitcher and a future rotation. And we'll get to lighter in a bit, but, but a future rotation in as quickly as, you know, mid 2024 of DeGrom, Gray, Heaney, lighter rocker is like a beautiful thought. But Kumar rocker is a sexy name. He has to prove it in professional baseball. Mm -hmm. You don't get there on your name. Jaleel Okafor won a national championship as the best player for the Duke Blue Devils. He was the third overall pick by Philly in like 2015, I want to say. Jaleel Okafor is a notable name, and Jaleel Okafor is out of the league. Same deal with Jabari Parker the year before that, right? Like, you have to prove it, you know? And, And Kumar, like, he proved it time and time again at Vandy. Now's that other opportunity to prove it. And we've gone through it too, right? You can rise, you know, at Syracuse, it's all about like rising in like the student media thing, because, you know, everybody goes there and wants to be the next Bob Costas. Yeah. You you rise all of a sudden senior year. It's like, wow, I'm doing everything I wanted to do here. And then you get out and And you go to the very bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. You're nothing. Time to prove it again. So it it is time for Kumar Rocker to prove it again. I'm so glad you said that because you know, I think Rangers fans it, were really excited about the write-ups tonight, and I, I, I loved the reception, you know, on Twitter and, and some really good questions from fans on on that. But, you know, the, the most common question was, where's Rocker in the top 10? Uh, because we used a graphic to show the top 10. And I said, ultimately, and this was a tough one for me, because we go into number 10, who is Cole Wynn. And yeah. Cole Wynn had a year from hell last year, right? Cole Wynn was not good last year. Right-handed pitching prospect who was a former first-round pick for them, and ultimately, the reason why I sided with Cole Wynn is because he's done it in pro ball, right? Um, they're the same age, essentially, and Cole Wynn has done it in pro ball. We saw in 2021, Cole Wynn pitched to a 2-3-1 ERA as a 21-year-old in 19 AA starts, albeit they were shorter starts. He only threw 78 innings, but that was after you know pitching pretty well in low A, and then even reached triple a as a 21 year old so yes last year was a disaster for him in triple he took a step back in the strikeout department he lost his command he was tinkering with his mechanics colwin was but at the end of the day this is a guy that reached triple at 22 years old well actually technically reached it at 21 years old and then started his age 22 season in triple a and struggled sure does that hurt his stock yes he was a top 
60 prospects in baseball before, and now he's not in the top 100. But if I am acquiring one of Rocker or Win, I think I'm going to acquire you know Win if I'm if I'm talking you know trades with the Rangers because I know that Win is showed at the Double A level. This guy's the same age as Rocker, comes with less injury concern, and if yeah. you can make that mechanical adjustment to get him where he needs to be. When can get back to that consensus top 100 prospect status that he had. And and what I really like about Win is that he is somebody that has a like plethora of pitches that he can get you with. Right. And it was tough to dock these grades a little bit because before I would have said his whole arsenal is above average. The fastball took a step back last year. And that's the interesting part. Lost more than 150 RPMs on average, Jack and lost multiple inches of induced vertical break. So I don't know what caused that because the velocity was the same. So I don't know if it was a sticky crackdown. I don't know what it was. Uh, but you also were playing in different altitudes. He was playing in a really difficult place to pitch, right? But he has he can get you with the fastball. The slider is flashed above average. The curveball is flashed plus. The changeup is flashed above average. And he's even showed us that he can command it. The problem was he was tinkering with his mechanics and just really couldn't repeat his delivery. And that did him in as well as the fastball quality really just falling off, uh, which was interesting because opponents hit 165, 287, 340 against his fastball in 2021, Jack, but crushed his fastball to a 917 OPS last season as it was flatter and lacked that life. If he can find a way to regain that life, this guy could be really good. Be honest with me. What do you think of him versus Rocker? Do you agree with the with this assessment here? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your decision because Wynn has proved it, but this can change in a matter of starts. Oh, yeah. It's beginning fluid. of 2023, mm-hmm. like very, very fluid. Rocker is 11th on this list. Don't get it twisted. Ornelas is probably 12th. Rocker is 11th. Uh, and Wynn is 10th ready to slide. An ERA at six and a half is brutal. He's got to figure out how to find the strike zone again. And hopefully health is the is the sole reason why he wasn't, but his walk rate literally doubled from 2021 to 2022. I think he didn't trust stuff, man. He was getting zone whiff on the fastball. Now imagine you're the fastball is now flat and you're trying to get, you know, you're nibbling more now. Right. And so he starts nibbling more, not trusting the stuff. We know how the ball flies, you know, in in that league as well. Um, Dude. I mean, listen, 87 walks in 120 innings. I mean, you can't can't get away with that. You're watching guys day in and day out. How often do you watch a guy in, in, you know, in the final six starts of the season, he used to be a, you know, come set or not, not even a come set guy. He would go out of the windup where it looks like it's the stretch, but he takes that step backwards. You know what I'm saying? And it's backwards, forwards, lift the leg up, go. Um, and that can cause guys to go, you know, a little bit too east-west. And instead of going, you know, north-south straight to home plate, it causes them to go more towards first base and then third base, which seemed to be a little bit of an issue. And then in the last five starts of the season, dude, he's only going out of the stretch. How often are you watching guys really tinker with their mechanics to that degree um, that that are, you know, legitimate top 10 prospects in their system? It's it's pretty rare. So that shows me yeah. he was he was a little bit in his head there and and, and lost. You'll see some hitters change, you know, that, with like that's, way more, that's yeah. way more common um, with pitchers like you don't see that. The only other guy that I've seen do that is Mackenzie Gore in 2021. Um, <laughs> and and like that was a year from hell. Um, was- but I mean, dude, 
Final start of the year win exclusively working from the stretch and walking five guys in four innings. Yeah. I mean, that is hopefully like hopefully the the body is figured out and the mind is figured out going into 2023 because that is the saving grace. If the mind is right, then I think Cole Wynn has the stuff to survive and thrive. Absolutely. You talk about guys that, you know, really just impressed and and homegrown guys that took that next step. And I think Dustin Harris just continues to do that. Right. Uh, Did he light it up? As much as he has maybe in other stretches, no. But what he did do is show that he can continue to hit no matter what level you put him at, and he put up above-average numbers in double-A last year. What I love about Harris, another versatile player. He can play first base. That was what it looked like at first, but now they put him in the outfield. Still getting his feet under him, but he's a, he's a good athlete that I think is going to be a solid outfielder in either corner. Uh, but it's really about the bat with Harris, right? This guy can really swing it. Uh, above average hit tool, I think at least average, potentially slightly above average power. Now you add in the versatility, you add in a little bit of speed. And this is a really fun player that could be an above average regular here. Uh, The upside's a bit limited, but given that now he can play the outfield and he's shown us a little bit more impact, this is an interesting player here. And Dustin Harris is just another one of those guys that just continues to improve his stock and in his own system. Uh, you know, without anything drastic happening, but just continues to to just rise through this system. Yeah, man. I mean, 17 homers, 19 bags, and a pretty low K rate in 85 games in double A as a 22-year-old says yeah. a lot about him. And, and I think, you know, like, I guess he struggled a little bit defensively and left, but he's serviceable enough to survive. It was new. It was new. Yeah, like brand new. So I, I do have you know, a lot of faith in him defensively developing into a serviceable corner outfielder. Um, he's probably, you know, destined for left as opposed to right. Mm-hmm. But if if the bat plays in the bat plays, and, and if you are a 2020 threat, if you get 100 games under your belt, I mean, that's a valuable piece. Only thing with him is, you know, I think he feels that pressure to, to hit for more power, being a first base slash left field guy in today's yeah. game. Um, and, and you see him try to go pull side. And we saw him pull the ball 54% of the time last year. Yeah. That's something that you, you got to monitor because big league arms and triple A arms will, 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 you know, exploit that pretty quickly. They, they see a guy that pulls the ball a lot. They know exactly how to attack you. But in his defense, Harris, very steady splits left on left. So even though he does get pull happy, he seems to keep that front side on left on left posting some pretty good splits against same-handed pitching. So has the ability to, you know, dodge the platoon role, can keep himself in the lineup with versatility. And if he can tap into 15 to 20 home run power, it's a guy that's going to get on base and you know, I think give you a, a little bit of everything. And, and I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a really solid prospect. Every system could use a Dustin Harris. I think he's going to be a big leaguer in some capacity. It's either replacement level or, or, you know, an above average regular. I think he's somewhere in between. And that's a great guy to have, you know, spot starting, maybe on your bench for a good team. But if he has to play, you know, every day for a few months because guys are banged up or he, he overachieves a little bit, you're in a great position there. So you could always use a Dustin Harris in your system. 100%, man. Another guy that... I think I think we've both done this dive on Zavala recently. I because Zavala is a really fascinating prospect. Oregon, and that's University of Oregon guy that was hit tool over power, and I mean really had no power. 
I don't know if you have the stats in front of you, but this guy, I don't think hit more than one or two home runs in each of his first two seasons in, in college baseball. Uh, and then hits nine finally, um, I think in his last season, and it was a total of 10 homers in 113 collegiate games for Aaron Zavala, but he was drafted in the second round purely based on the fact that this guy just has a phenomenal field to hit and a little bit of, of potential power to tap into. Well, I think we've seen him tap into that power professionally here. He hits the ball pretty hard, has a great field to hit and walked at a 17% clip last year, which is remarkable you know really really good there has climbed through the minors quickly and was one of the best i think breakout prospects last year really in in all of baseball if you really look at the offensive output yeah um so his first two years at oregon his obp was higher than his slug um he had no homers in 43 games as a freshman uh and then his sophomore year 2020 limited to just 15 games he had 23 hits in 15 games Two extra base hits. He had a double and a homer. He just he was slapping the ball, and then all of a sudden, nine homers came about, 11 bags came about, and he was an All-American in 2021. And, you know, this was a loaded 2021 All-American team. Um, I was just scrolling through it, like Henry Davis, Matt Nelson, Jace Young, Cavadas, Connor Norby, Encarnacion Strand. Um, how about Brooks Lee, Trey Sweeney, Enrique Bradfield, Cowser? I mean, Loaded, loaded All-American team in 2021. And Zavala, I like the way he's transformed because unless you are Stephen Kwan, you cannot survive as a singles hitter in Major League Baseball anymore. You no. need to have another facet of your game. And he proved that he has that other facet of his game with 16 pumps in 111 games. So if he, like 277, I'm sure he wants to see a three leading that number as opposed to a two. And and I think it's going to come because this guy hit 390 across an entire season of college baseball in 2021. He was a 400 hitter in the Pac-12, which is so hard to do. I think that the 300 clip is coming this year. And if he can get up to a 300 clip and keep the 15 to 20 homer potential, I mean, you're looking at a guy that I think without question, is on the opening day roster in 2024. I agree. And, and he doesn't chase. So even it, even if he's a little bit more of that selling out and he's more of the 275 guy, I agree. I think he can get to that to that higher batting average mark. But even if he doesn't, he's going to walk enough to where the on-base percentage is going to be reflective of, of that of a 300 hitter, right? He's going to get on base at a 360, 370 clip. And, and he's going to tap into that power. What I love is the swinging strike rate of 9%. This guy's not fouling off pitches that he should be hitting. Like he is barreling baseballs and left on left was a bit of a struggle for him. And I think that's what diminished the overall batting average a bit as well. But whenever I see a guy struggle left on left, but shows extreme patience. Okay. He might hit 180 against lefties, but if he's getting on base at a 330 clip, that's palatable, right? And if he runs into a few baseballs, he's going to be good enough left on left. But even if you have to shelter him, he demolished righties last year. 22 years old to do what he did, you know, to, to reach the levels he reached to, to even get to double A and, and have success there. Silence some of those power concerns, because I think a 104 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity is is comfortably above average. Uh, he gets the ball in the air a lot, which is going to help him eke out every ounce of that above average raw power. And I, I really like the way he approaches the game, man. Two strikes, he's choked up. He's just putting bat on ball. So he still is who he is, but he leverages his counts well. He's going to swing for the fences in the right spots because he knows that he can hit for power, especially to his pull side. But guess what? Two strikes, 
I'm still Aaron Zavala from Oregon. I'm going to choke up and I'm going to spray the ball all over the field. And to me, that's a well-rounded hitter, Jack. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I, I'm telling you, I think this guy can be a, a dynamic piece to that Rangers offense, especially when that Rangers offense now has Seager, who's got 25 homer potential, Semyon, who when he's at his best is 30 to 35 homer potential. And then you got guys that, you know, are, are freak athletes that have uber pop like Adoles Garcia. You know, there's a lot of open space. And then, oh, Josh Young is another guy that is power oriented. There's a lot of open space for a bat-to-ball guy, and I think that Zavala can absolutely be that bat-to-ball guy. We'll say, though, defense, I was not enjoying watching that video of him in the outfield. That's so okay. Put him there. in a corner. Yeah. We'll get there. Talking about bat-to-ball guys, man, this is this is one of the most underrated bat-to-ball guys, I think, in, in, in professional baseball because he wasn't that out of the gate. And I, this was another one, just kind of sensing the reaction. Whoa, Foscu up there? I'll make my case. I saw enough to put this guy on 55 present, potentially 60 hit tool. Um, through this back half of the year, 90% zone contact. That's elite. Um, the way he was controlling his at-bats was remarkable. The way that he was able to make some adjustments to really quiet things down. And you know, he, he still has a bit of a leg kick to get into his backside, but his hands are quieter. He repeats his moves really well. He has exceptional body control with those, you know, with a little bit of that leg kick and seems to really be in control of his swing. And it clicked for him, right? When we saw what he put up last year, strikeout rate almost halved, I believe. Uh, the zone contact rate's obviously there. And the guy hits the ball hard. So whenever I see a 7% jump in zone contact rate, it was 89% for the course of the whole season. And also still maintaining that, that slightly above average power. How do you not get excited about this guy? Uh, I think he's a decent defender at second base. He crushed lefties to like a 980 near 1000 OPS. Handled righty uh, righty guys is like pretty well. Could get a little bit better there. But that, that gave him the four, I think, is a guy that can be a lefty masher for you. I think he can be an everyday player that as he continues to get better against righties, the numbers will be more consistent overall. Uh, but I think he's an on-base threat with 20 home run upside. Should play fine at second base. We'll mix in a few stolen bases here and there. And th this is another really high floor guy that kind of screams 275, 360, 440. And that's a really good player at second base, man. Correct. Um, just to put it in perspective, like a couple of comparative numbers to to really, you know, put put the strikeout rate diminishing in perspective. 39 more games in 2022 than 2021, six fewer strikeouts. Struck out 72 times in 62 games in 21. In 22, struck out 66 times in 101 games. That's, that's had, remarkable. It's remarkable. He had 47 extra base hits, and he had 66 strikeouts in 101 games. So this guy did not sacrifice power at all. You know, you can see the slug go down a little bit, but just by sheer volume, 31 doubles, 15 pumps, and lowering the strikeout rate, you said, by nearly half? I mean, come it's on. It's hard to argue against that. It's hard to find and, a and spot it, in the lineup. I know it's not, you know, I know he's not going to be a superstar, and that's why he's not the most exciting seventh-ranked prospect, but this is where it's floor versus ceiling, man. I put a lot of money on this guy being an above average regular. Like I put a lot of money on him being 
positive in the war department. And when we're talking about back end of the top 10, there's not many teams that can say that about, you know, farm system wise, where I'll say that number seven prospect. Oh, I'm guaranteeing that guy's going to be a positive war guy, you know, right off the bat. And I think Foscue's as close as I can comfortably say will be a, an above average piece for his team, you know, from the jump. And I think he keeps getting better. And I think there might be even more in there. So very excited to see how he does this here. I assume he starts in triple a and with the tighter strike zone, given his approach, he's the kind of guy that I think takes his game to another level in triple a. He's the kind of guy that I think benefits from triple a. So I think his numbers could even hike up a little bit when he gets to that level. Yeah. And of course, very hitter friendly environment. Yes. Very, very hitter friendly environment. So floor versus ceiling. This is where it was tough. I was leaning Foscu over Luis Angel Acuna, but ultimately Luis Angel Acuna, of course he is the brother of Ronald Acuna, did not factor into the decision, but that Luis Angel Acuna's glove ultimately is what solidified his floor enough for me with the ceiling to put him just ahead of Foscu. I was really impressed with what Luis Angel Acuna did with the glove last year. The video was really impressive. He's got a great arm, no doubt sticking it short. I think an above average defender. I'm 55 present, 60 future with the glove. I have some questions with the bat, no doubt about it. But at the same time, he raked in high A as a youngster. What, 20 years old last year? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Was he 19 at the season start or 20? I think he was 19 at the season start. Yeah, so 19, demolishes high A, runs into a wall in double A. And, yeah, he, he struggled in 37 games in double A, but still played phenomenal defense and didn't strike out egregiously at the double A level. So still held his own. There's some things he needs to work out with his swing, and I could get super technical, uh, won't get too technical. He tries to swing just like his brother. The difference yeah. is that type of swing, it's really hard to stay in your backside. And if you look at Ronald Acuna versus Luis Angel Acuna, same setup, looks similar, watch the weight shift. Luis Angel loses his backside way earlier, causes him to drag through the zone. And as a result, you're going to get blown up by Velo. He got blown up by Velo. Um, and you're also going to hit more balls on the ground. He still posted a max exit velocity last year of 112 miles an hour, which given that he is 5'10", 175, or at least that's what he's listed at, still probably a little bit bigger than that. Um, he's got a lot of, of upside there, above average power potential, still a pretty good approach and a great defender at short. That's a really quality prospect. Um, I I need to see some adjustments with the with the you know with the swing, but given what he has presently and what the upside is, he's one adjustment away from being a top one hundred guy. Um, did you see him at all in the Arizona Fall League? Was surprised. I did. I did. What, he was the youngest guy on that roster. In mm-hmm. surprise, did Again. he did he stick out? He. He stuck out with the glove. And again, that's BP looked good. And then in games, just, just got blown up a little bit, man. Um, yeah. And that's where I really, you know, you're able to go open side, get really close. I got to watch his BP too. You can see that weight shift happening really, really early. No one is going to say, look at Ronald Acuna, swing like that, right? His yeah. brother will though. And Ronald Acuna is a freak athlete who excels with that swing because of the way he's able to stay in his back hip and how athletic his lower half is. Why did Ronald Acuna Jr. struggle last year, Jack? Coming off of a knee injury, hit the ball on the ground more than he ever had, was not able to stay in his legs as well as he previously did. And it was, you know, 
kind of the worst we've really seen him hit. And he was still good. Right. He's not as much of a freak athlete as his brother, but which puts more emphasis on having the right moves and staying in that back hip. And right now that's what's missing, but he still mashed high a pitching and didn't strike out egregiously and showed great things with the glove. Where, where do you balance the floor versus ceiling here? Cause this was probably one of my hardest juggles, Uh, but ultimately the age and the success we're talking about Colson Montgomery, someone who was rushed to double A and struggled. We didn't hold it against him. I felt like it'd be a bit unfair to hold it against Luis Angel, uh, given what he did in high A last year. Yes, I'm with you. And the the way he handles himself in other areas beside the back, I, obviously the bat is what does the talking when it comes to prospect hitters, like guys that will factor in. But speed and defense, right? You've got him as a 55-grade runner right now. He's a 40 stolen base guy in minor league baseball. Do you think that's 60 or 65 or is some of that just situational? Like he knew what pitches to run on. Yeah, I think he's just, he's quick. Um, he's a so smart shit, man. If he's quick, like he could be a 30 bad guy at the major league yeah. level at the very least 2025. 20, right. And he's got the power to hit 20. He could be a 2020 20 shortstop with, with plus defense. That's, that's, that's uh, the high end outcome. But it's feasible. And if that's feasible, that's a guy that's an adjustment away from a top 100 prospect. Foscue's ceiling just is just not going to sniff. He's that, not a top you know? 100 guy. Yeah. No. Unless so he's McLean, he's not a top 100 guy. And McLean's a freak athlete, right? Like McLean yeah. doesn't get enough credit for how, how athletic he is. Right. Right. Number five, Brock Porter. And this was somebody that I went into this not expecting to be as high on him as I, as I am, because it was hard. I haven't seen him in person. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. And honestly, just watching the video and, and seeing what he already has going for him, six, four, 210 pounds throws upper nineties with life. And guess what his best pitch is, Jack? It's a change up and it's a nasty one. Already grades is plus, no matter who you ask in the industry, 70 potential on that changeup. And I think it's darn near that already. So when you have a guy that's already fastball changeup at 6'4", 210 with pretty good command, the breaking ball, he has both a slider and a curveball that, that aren't quite there yet. Jack, you you are you know really, really good with the pitching side of things so specifically because you were a guy that threw and you can kind of you know put yourself in their shoes, but also just watching all these guys in the minors and seeing, you know, as they tinker with their stuff, as they try to get their stuff to the next level. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot easier to, to learn a breaking ball than it is a changeup, Right. Yeah. And it's a hell of a lot. It's a hell of a lot easier to learn a breaking ball than it is a fastball. And, you know, there are some guys where it's like, Hey, their fastball is just not right. You know, like their breaking stuff is good. Um, but they have no, like, everything's going to shit. I need my fastball. Um, they don't have that pitch to turn to. And with Brock Porter already having 60 fastball and changeup, I mean, that's a guy that can that can win at bats with fastballs and changeups and mix in a show-me slider on 0-2. You can get ahead 0-2 of pretty much every hitter in minor league baseball unless they are a top-10 prospect using a fastball and a changeup. Yeah. And if he can do that and you mix in just a, a nothing slider or a nothing curveball and you develop those in bullpens, um, you're due for for some massive success. And based on, you know, the data that is at 
Brock Porter's disposal, I think it's, you know, we might be talking about him having a plus slider this year. Um, just and because if that happens, if that, that. if that, so I talked about Roby as like the breakout guy, Porter, fourth round pick, not really. He signed for $3.7 yeah. million because of the money that they saved with their, with their first round pick in Kumar Rocker. Yeah. Um, so it's not as much of a breakout, but there's a legitimate scenario where Brock Porter by mid season is so dominant. Like, yeah, I'm not going to say Andy Painter style. Cause I think Andy Painter might be like, kind of embarking on that. Yuri Perez, Grayson Rodriguez. Like those are the three top pitching prospects in baseball. Andy Painter's kind way, of a unicorn. Yeah. yeah. But Brock Porter's kind of like that next tier where it wouldn't surprise me if he comes out and instantly is a top 10 or better pitching prospect in baseball because of the fastball, because of the changeup, because of the decent command already. Like this isn't a, a situation where it's a guy that just has no idea where it's going. Like he, he has a pretty good field of pitch. The only issue really is the arm action. And I'm not sure it's an issue. It was something that scouts were kind of concerned about was he goes kind of deep behind his body and it, it causes him at times to struggle to repeat that release and repeat the timing of his of his arm action. That might be why he struggles with the slider and, and the curveball. But also, he doesn't seem to have any problem repeating his arm action with his fastball and his changeup. So, again, another guy that's a tweak away from if he even has a an average slider, dude. Like <laughs> this is this is a guy with a three pitch mix that's going to allow him to climb really quickly. And a big, exciting body at 6'4", 210 that just screams power pitcher, frontline guy. He might climb pretty quick. Told you off the top that we were going to talk about it. Like this is where the Texas Rangers aced the 2022 draft mm-hmm. is by maneuvering in bonus pool money. And yep. by going so under slot, not just under slot, like, you know, Pittsburgh did with Henry Davis, like going so unbelievably under slot that they could go get a top 10 overall talent in the fourth round in Brock Porter. I mean, if you can do that, you're pretty much playing with house money with Brock Porter because you went with Rocker, who is, what, four or five years older than Porter at this time? Yeah, I was going to say almost like Kumar is the house money, right? Like you could look at Porter as your first round pick. And you think one of them is going to work out. What? You think one of them is going to work out. Yeah, totally, totally. And yeah. I think like... Kumar is almost like the house money guy. Like we'll see what happens with him. Um, and if he turns into even 70% of what, what everyone thought he could be, that's a, that's an ace of a draft. Yeah. Another first round pick that did not quite have the year last year that, you know, many were hoping Jack lighter, extremely aggressive assignment, right? He goes straight to double. You can understand why he gets that assignment because of how dominant he was in the SEC and how polished he is both between the ears and on the mound. But it was a rough one for him, man. Um, the fastball wasn't quite what it was. He still averaged 95 miles an hour, but lacked a lot of the shape that made it so good at Dandy. Um, slider was his best pitch which is interesting because I thought the curveball was his best pitch oftentimes at Vandy, but struggled to locate the curveball. Only landed the curve for a strike 48% of the time, which is which is brutal. Only landed the fastball for a strike 60% of the time, which is not great. Slider landed for a strike 64% of the time and got a lot of whiffs on it. That was a really solid pitch for him still last year, and that slider opponents hit 180, 271, 219 against it. So that's the good news. The bad news is fastball shape was diminished. 
couldn't locate the curveball, and the changeup is you know, still a distant fourth offering. Ultimately, what I think it all boils down to is just overall command, and the overall command wasn't there last year, Jack. He faced hitters that he could get beat by for the first time in his entire life this mm-hmm. past I mean, let, like, let's go backwards because obviously everybody knows what he did in his sophomore year at Vandy in 2021, right? I mean, he was unbelievable. He was th- under four hits per nine. He threw 110 innings at Vandy. He allowed 48 hits at Vandy. That's insane. Punching out 15 guys per nine, allowing less than four hits per nine. Before that, four appearances, three starts, and that COVID short in 2020 – he was under three hits per nine. It was, what, 15 and two-thirds innings, five hits, 22 punch-outs. Yeah. Del Barton at New Jersey, right? He was a Del Barton guy in, in New yes, Jersey? Del Barton guy. Yeah, so I mean, like, he was the best pitcher in America, and he happened to be throwing in the state of New Jersey where there's not much talent. Like, guys will get drafted out of Jersey, but the average high school baseball player in Jersey is worth is worse than like most places uh, in America. So, I mean, he has never had to deal with it. And I even go back to like Little League, right? There was probably no moment that Jack Leiter faced adversity because as soon as he told his father, Al Leiter, hey, dad, I want to pitch. Something probably clicked in Al's mind like, all right, I'm going to make my kid a badass on the mound. Like, that's just how that works. He's probably never struggled before. So this is his first taste of adversity. And we're biased, but we know what that guy's makeup is. Mm-hmm. I can't see a world where he doesn't come back in 2023 and, and have this mf mentality where he just takes that step up. Yeah, totally. And here, let me, let me propose you this scenario. He starts in high A. Let's say so he made 20, 22 starts last year. Let's say he starts in high A and makes goes down. No, 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 no. Let, let me let, I'm saying as of last year. Oh, okay. So in 2022, okay. let's say he starts 12 games there, dominates to a two six ERA and and racks up a ton of strikeouts, then gets called up to double A and for 10 more starts there, puts the exact numbers up that he put up last yeah, year. Five five ERA. Yeah. Five five ERA. Are we as concerned? No, but because he went to the Texas league, not only did he go to double A, he went to the Texas league, which I think is the closest thing to the PCL uh, that we have in minor league baseball. You're, you're usually better with the ballpark factors uh, than I am, but it's, it's a hitter friendly environment and he's expected to, you know, just seamlessly go from college baseball to double A hitter friendly environment. There's a level of trusting your stuff, right? I, I do think that there was, some issues with some some jerkiness to his mechanics, especially when he when he when he spread his hands and really got into that backside. There was a little bit of there's just a little bit more noise than you'd like to see, and he seemed to struggle to repeat his mechanics. I'm willing to bet that Jack Leiter and his tree trunk legs and and his pedigree that he has and his built-in pitching coach of a father, he's going to figure out how to throw more strikes. And guess what? Even through the disaster of the year, 109 strikeouts in 92 and two-thirds innings as a guy making his pro debut in double-A through all the adversity. You know, still went out there and competed every fifth day and mixed in some dominant outings, right? Like, he, he wasn't all bad all the time. Like, he mixed in some really good outings, 10K outings here and there. If the command can get there and if the fastball shape can come back a little bit, He's still every bit of what we thought he could be. Sure, maybe the command isn't quite there, and maybe the fastball isn't 
the 65-70 pitch, maybe it's more 55-60, then he's still a middle-of-the-rotation arm with all the intangibles you love. So for me, it, there, it was going to take a lot more than that for me to drop Jack Leiter from four. He still pitched a lot of innings last year. He still showed a lot of good things, and the slider did take a big step. If the curveball can get there, this guy's still going to have a really good three pitches. Changeup could be the fourth one. And he's got just – there's just too much there. I agree with everything you said. Way too much there. Um, and, again, like I can't talk about Jack Leiter without talking about his legs. I mean, those are the best legs on a pitcher that you will find in minor league baseball. The exactly. only better legs that you will see on a pitcher is is on Spencer Strider. Strider? And, and yeah. that's kind of what you're hoping for here, right? Like, I'm not saying he's going to be Spencer Strider, but there's a level of like similarity there with the electric fastball. I don't think it's going to be 100, but a slightly diminished Strider. He's got a better chance at a third and fourth pitch than Strider does. Not as good of the fastball slider combination as Strider, which is one of the best we've seen. But we're talking about athletic pitchers who can just overpower you. Jack Leiter can be that from that low release point where the ball just takes off. I, th- I really do believe he's going to find it next year. Absolutely. Someone who found it last year after a lot of injuries and really kind of had his coming out party in the Arizona Fall League, was it in 2021? Was when he had that that coming out party. But Owen White, Owen White is becoming one of my favorite pitching prospects in baseball. And this is a guy that I think is going to factor into the equation as soon as, as next year uh, at the big league level. Owen White has a really exciting arsenal, good command, and Overcoming those injuries put together a really nice season last year. 110 strikeouts, 23 walks. Fastball averaged 95 miles an hour, and he threw it for a strike 71% of the time, which is very impressive. Opponents had an OPS of just 632 against his fastball, which he threw 60% of the time. The crazy thing is he doesn't need to throw it that much. He does it because he can. Because you look at the rest of his arsenal, slider flashed plus. I thought it was pretty much a plus pitch. Curveball flashed above average. Changeup flashed above average. And all of a sudden, you've got a guy here with a plus fastball, plus slider, and a changeup and curveball that you know both are, are very viable third and fourth pitches to go with above average command that is close to plus. He was a 2018 draft pick that just didn't pitch for years and now has made up for lost time and then some. This could be somebody that they call up, doesn't have all the po- prospect pedigree because of you know his rough – uh, kind of coming out of the gate after being drafted in the second round in 2018. Yeah. But it could be somebody that everybody starts to pick up on quickly. And I think could be a number three type starter for them very soon. I'll call it plus command, man. I mean, I would say 55, 65, like he was two and a half walks per nine. Like he got better in the command department and that wasn't a place where he needed to get better. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you go into the 2021 offseason after you mentioned his great run of six starts in the Arizona Fall League. I don't think you go into winter of 2021, 2022, last winter, saying, I got to throw more strike. Like, I got to get better in the command department. But somehow he did. And, yeah. and the stuff got better, too. I mean, I think this guy, like, listen, you know, I, I just said you dream of – DeGrom, Gray, Heaney, Lighter, Rocker. I mean, if anybody's going to have something to say about it, it's Owen White. It's Owen White. And you know what, man? I I don't think – I legitimately believe that Owen White's ceiling is is right around where Kumar Rocker's is. Wow. Um, Because you look at the – what does Kumar have that that Owen doesn't? Owen's 6'3", 200 pounds. So maybe slightly less size. He's still big. Uh, Command, better. Fastball, 
more consistently better. Uh, yeah. Shape is better, and the velo is pretty much right there. Slider, Slider on par. Right there. And yeah. I would say his changeup is way further along, and then he's got the curveball. So He just doesn't have like the 16K no-hitter in college in the Super Regional. Correct. And that's all that's missing. Well, guess what? He had back-to-back starts at the end of high A. when they. So you know when they realized they had to move him up to, to before we move on to, to the last two players here? Here's when the Texas Rangers realized they needed to move Owen White up to double A. His final three starts in high A, he goes six innings, no runs, or sorry, sorry, six innings, two runs, 10 Ks. Then the next day, or the next the next start goes seven innings, one run, 11 Ks. Then his final start in high A, six innings, one run, nine Ks. And in all of these outings combined, had just three walks. So three, three walks in those three outings. 30 Ks, three walks, essentially. Like, that, that is a guy that's just way too good for high A, goes up to double A, and the numbers were consistently good there as well. So this is a guy that I think is going to quickly climb. It's probably going to start in triple next year. Maybe they start him for a couple starts in double. In double. But I, I, I could see him, if he has a good spring, being start. they start him in triple. And he's just a guy that got better as the year went on. Um, and, I, and I'm really excited to see what the future holds for him. I think he is a guaranteed, or as close to it as you can get, rotation piece for this for this Texas Rangers team at the big league level very soon. So what I will say is he only has 115 minor league innings under his belt. So I would mm-hmm. say start him in double. Yeah. So that's the interesting thing. And this is for like for another episode is traditionally we've always been like, get this guy more innings, get him more experience in the minors, you know, build up. But we also see the injury risk that these guys have. And if, if they show that they can get out to the big league level, why not bring them up? We've seen some teams be more aggressive. Where do you stand on that? Like, would you be against starting this guy in AAA next year? I would. It's a boring answer, um, but I would be against starting him in triple. And, and the only reason I say that is because it depends on the individual. And with Owen White, I think it's a very similar conversation to Andy Rodriguez on the hitter side. You know, Andy had this insane helium and he finished the year in triple and he was amazing in triple. Um, So you say, oh, well, he's already passed triple A in like a 10 game sample or an eight game sample. You know, why not just have him like crack the opening day roster or why not have Owen White, you know, crack the triple A roster in minor league opening day when he's already, you know, aced his double A audition. And to rain on the parade, I will say, well, maybe he was just riding this like hot hand. Maybe he was riding the wave that he had. And, and Andy Rodriguez, he was incredible in his 40 game sample in double a 40, 50 game sample. So he comes up to triple a and you felt like he was riding that momentum and, and the momentum didn't stop when he went from Altoona to Indianapolis. Um, Owen white, you just rattled off the last three starts, 30 punch outs, three walks, he goes to double A for four starts, 23 punch outs, four walks. Maybe he was just riding that hot hand. So I want to see if he truly is too good for double A hitters before mm-hmm. I move him to triple A versus the Andrew Painter conversation where it's just so clear he's better than every double A. He, he was good from him from the jump. It was just a joke. Right. It, it was That's just fair. a joke. That's so, fair. I think it's a different. And I think the one variable here is if you and I work for the Texas Rangers and we see Owen White dotting up bullpens and every catcher is marveling at what he's doing, and then he looks great in spring training, then maybe it's a different it's a different conversation. But we but don't I get agree. To see that. Status quo, exactly, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So if it's status quo, 
and you know he looks fine in spring training. I'm okay with that conservative approach as well for, you know, because again, what, what's the rush with this guy? You don't want to stifle the confidence and, and stifle any momentum that he has building up right here. Yeah. Uh, but re- regardless, we could see him in the big leagues next year, no matter where he starts. Right. And I, I think that's really exciting given that, you know, he was an afterthought as recently as a year and a half ago. Yeah. Josh Young checks in at number two and some people might've wondered, oh, wait, wait, he's not number one. We'll get to number one. Josh Young, to come back last year was was so great to see, right? He tears his labrum, was it in spring training or really early in the season? I think it was and, announced in spring training. Yeah. And we're just hoping to see him back at some point before the end of the season. Not only does he come back, he hits the ball really well in AAA, gets off to a crazy start, and then gets up to the big leagues and you know, didn't didn't – have the best showing in the big leagues, but he got there, got his feet wet and that's okay. Right. Like we just want to see these guys get their feet wet so that when you go into the next season, they have a little bit of an understanding and going into the off season, understanding of what they need to work on. Josh Young is a first round pick top 10 pick third baseman who can hit for power, who can, you know, put bat on ball. The problem, and we're talking about what he needs to work on is he is one hell of an aggressive hitter. Combining the big leagues and the minor leagues last year, uh, and I'll be it 237 plate appearances, but I think that's a pretty sizable you know sample size. Yeah, 32.3 percent chase rate, 14 percent swinging strike rate. Here's the thing: this guy has good bats of ball skills. He is a good field to hit. He should not have a swinging strike rate that high because he has a good field to hit. The problem is he's swinging too much, and this is you know that that juggle of. I am able to put the bat on a lot of different pitches. Does that mean it's the right pitch for me to try to put the bat on? And I saw Josh Young take a lot of swings and counts that he shouldn't have been taking those kinds of swings at. So I'm expanding the zone and hitters counts. I saw him in even counts, maybe taking an A swing at a pitch that was borderline, right? Little things like that, that can totally sway a count. And that's why he struck out so much. I don't think he's, he's a major liability to strike out 30 plus. I think he'll strike out 20 to 25% of the time, but you look at zero walks last year. That's really what what held him back was a 4.6% walk rate, aggressive approach. More experienced hitters started to pick that apart as they saw, oh, he'll ambush you. He'll hit the homers. But if you don't leave it over the middle, he can get himself out. And that's what he did. That's the one thing missing. If he can get that there, we're talking about a guy with an above average hit tool plus power and just a gamer by nature. Um, he's he's going to be a big part of their future. And I think a middle of the order masher once he irons out the approach. Yeah, I mean, dude, what? It's it's going to be Semyon, Seeger, Low, Garcia, Heim, Young. Yeah. He'll be the six hitter for the Texas Rangers on opening day. Yeah. So, he's going to have his opportunity like he's going to graduate from this from this list really quickly. Um, I think Rangers fans were hoping, and I think Chris Young and John Daniels were hoping that he would have graduated from this list a couple months into the 2022 season. But again, the shoulder thing screwed him up big time. Um, I mean, he's got a chance to be one of these bats that just sticks around for a really long time. And uh, Ezekiel Duran was maybe forced into a bit more action than than the Rangers were hoping uh, he would be. But I, I think a full year of Josh Young, we're going to be really impressed with how seasoned he is. I was say, do you think he irons out that approach issue? Um, because here's the interesting thing. He demolishes fastballs, and that's why I think he's going to have success at the big league level. But 
how do you tell a guy that had a one an 1100 OPS against fastballs last year, slugged 743 against fastballs last year? How do you tell him to swing at them less? Right. That's a, that's a tough juggle because he swung at 52% of fastballs, which is too high. And he chased 35% of fastballs, which is too high. So he get he gets his right. He, he hits the homers. He, he mashes the fastballs, but he also, you know, kind of sabotaged his counts and, you know, gave away at bats here and there. How concerned are you about that? Or do you think just, just with his pedigree and where he's been, this is something that he'll be able to iron out? Yeah, I just think he's going to iron it out, and I, I think I that he's going to play in more games, and I think seeing more pitches playing in more games will allow him to not chase as much. I think he was honestly subconsciously trying to make up for lost time. That, that I 100% think is a big factor in this, right? Like, I should be in the big leagues right now if I didn't get hurt. I want to get there this year. I want to start my clock before the season's over. And then when he gets there, I want to prove I belong here. And there's yeah. press. And I think there yeah. was definitely a level. He's always been an aggressive hitter, but he was able to kind of keep it in check. It was the first time where it, you know, it seemed to get out of out of whack a little bit. It's a new job. Like you show up to a new job and you want to prove yourself and you're doing too much. When in reality, like you are best at your job when you are what got you there in the first place. And Josh 100%. Young was just trying to do too much. hundred percent. Somebody that that does everything is Evan Carter. And he's number one here. As we wind down this episode, Evan Carter went from somebody I barely was paying attention to in the 2020 draft class, somebody that, uh, you know, was if you talk to uh, to some of the brass at Duke where he was committed, they were he was one of the guys that they were least afraid of losing in the 2020 drafts committed to Duke also was Jordan Walker and some of the other top, top guys. Duke has been an unbelievable program over the last couple of years in baseball. And Evan Carter was one of the names that they weren't as concerned about losing to the draft. And sure enough, they lose him. And it was a $1.25 million signing bonus, which is under slot for a second rounder out of high school. He yeah. signs, he bets on himself. And boy, did the Rangers potentially get the steal of the draft. This kid is projectable, but presently good. And whenever you got that, that is a fun recipe. 100 games in high A as a 19-year-old. He hits 287, 388, 476. Walks almost as much as he strikes out. Then he gets a six-game cameo in Frisco for double A and just makes a mockery of it. Goes nine for 21, hits a home run, and walks five times, strikes out six times. So you combine the year, 885 OPS, 12 homers, 10 triples, 21 doubles, high walk rate, low K rate. And, oh, yeah, he's just turned 20. And, oh, yeah, he's 6'4", 190. And, oh, yeah, he plays great defense in center field. I didn't even mention the stolen bases. He mixed in some of those as well. Could be a little bit more efficient, but he swiped 28. This guy's turning into one of the most exciting prospects in baseball. He and Zach Veen are as similar as you could possibly cut prospects. I mean, like, if you love what Zach Veen can become, you should love what Evan Carter can become because we're looking at dynamic, possible five-tool guys mm -hmm. that can run like the wind, that can flirt with the 300 batting average, that can possibly hit 30 homers if they fill out appropriately. I mean, I'm telling you, like, as, as the Zach Veen truther of all Zach Veen truthers, I love Evan Carter. And, and here's the thing. So Veen, higher ceiling. These guys are cut from the same cloth, I agree. What floors me with Carter 
is the present floor. Like, look at what he's already done. Like, I agree. These guys, I think, and if you go to our top prospect rankings, if you go to our top 100, I think Carter and Vina are going to be neck and neck, which is, which is funny that you bring that up. But I think if I have to pick one right now, Jack, it's Evan Carter. Because, yeah. look, I, I could rue that one. I could regret it because Zach Veen could be 30-30. But Evan Carter's floor is just way more solid than I think anybody thought it would be. 18% chase rate, 85.5% zone contact for a high school guy between high A and double A. 14% walk rate, 17% K rate. He flashed the power, not as much power as Veen, which I think is what keeps them close. But 102.4 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocities is solid. It's above average. But we're talking about a guy that has enough room in his frame to add another 20 pounds if he wanted to. And if he can carry that, he could stay in center or he can move to a corner and be an absolute masher. 6'4", 190. I mean, this guy's got plenty of room to fill out. He could be a 30-30 guy as well. I agree. Him and Vina are in the same cloth, cut from the same cloth. Carter, an even safer prospect. He's one that if he has a good year next year in double A, you could be a top 20 prospect in baseball. Yeah. Uh, and also Carter just had an objectively better year than Veen did in 2022. So that that's another reason to side with Carter over Veen because, you know, so much of this is recently er, recency, right? What have you done for me lately? And Evan Carter has done so much more lately. I mean, he had one of the best years in all of minor league baseball this past year. He certainly had the best year in the Rangers system. Um I'm with you, man. I mean, every single tool has the chance to be off the charts, which is such a rarity. And if he put together a year like that in high A, you know, it'd be one thing if it was low A, but high A is a lot closer to double than you want to admit. The baseball is a lot better in high A than low A. You know, each each one, like look at it as a reverse funnel, right? So he faced better competition. And I, I mean, he's got the chance to be truly, truly special. And what's even crazier is so he has that that impressive stretch and double even in those six games or so. But then he even plays in the postseason, which won't show up in baseball reference. And he closes out the season in that postseason. The final two games, he walks four times in his second to last game. And then in the final game, three for five. So he gets on base seven times in his final two games in double A in the postseason after that stretch of, you know, six or seven games that I just mentioned. So we have almost a dozen games of success at double A small, small sample, but this guy gets there and doesn't get blown up on the big stage in front of big crowds in Frisco. Um, That's, that's pretty exciting here, man. And uh, I think gun to your head, top 20 prospects by midseason next year. Um. With the graduations that are going to come, yes. I'm in. I, I think agree. so much of the top 20 is like so close to major league ready, and I think a lot of these guys are going to graduate by the all-star break. I'd say by the all-star break, Evan Carter's a top 20 prospect in baseball. Second round pick in 2020. What a grab. And to kind of circle back to what you said off the bat, dude, they've drafted really well over the last really few well. years. And Evan Carter is their best success story so far, I think, if he continues on that trajectory. That'll do it for this episode of The Call-Up. Any final thoughts on the Rangers system? A reminder, if you're listening on the podcast form, go check out our YouTube. Subscribe. You can also read the entire write-ups on all of these guys. If you're following along on YouTube, 
check the description if you want to read along and, and kind of get a little bit more on all of these prospects. If you're watching right now, please subscribe. Just hit 300 subscribers. Just made this YouTube, so really excited about that and excited to keep putting out prospect content. More player interviews coming ahead as well. Any final thoughts, Jack, on the Rangers system? Yeah, I mean, it's not a system that gets much buzz. Like Texas is a place that, you know, has not necessarily been competitive at the major league level for a little bit now, and and their affiliates are not um, that well publicized. Like, you know, they're not one of those organizations that just breeds. And you don't hear a lot about the Rangers org, but we're in a really good era of Rangers prospects. And I think that Rangers fans that are listening to this, Yes, be really excited for the money that you spent over the last two off seasons. Um, Degrom, Bob Gibson when he's healthy, yeah. Seager and Semyon. Like you know, if if everything goes according to plan, they are absolutely worth the half a billion dollars that you commit to them. And you've got the prospect capital to back it up, man. And if they prematurely hit their window, like if the Rangers are good by the All Star break in twenty twenty three. They have the depth in the organization to trade for big league helpers. Yeah. And and also, if certain free agent signings don't pan out, they've got some upper-level guys that are not far off that can start to help out. Ezekiel Duran, you mentioned earlier, just graduated. That's a guy that would have been well inside the top 10 as well. I'm still really high on him. Josh yep. Smith, a solid depth piece as well. I still think he's a solid prospect, too, that graduated. They've got a lot brewing here for sustainable success the rangers are doing a good job and we will be continuing to do these farm system breakdowns next is the cleveland guardians so keep an eye out for that one as always thank you for listening if you could take a second to rate the podcast would really appreciate it look forward to talking guardians prospects with you very soon might have a breakout prospects episode coming up before that as well talk to you then credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.